Morning. Morning. Um, as Keith said, my name's Rich. I just want to introduce you to two of my friends. There's Pete. Uh, Pete is our project manager at Chapter 2. He, he runs our partnership. So uh, both Pete and I are very excited about the potential to, to partner with you here at All Nations. And Wayne, Wayne is one of our real-life volunteer mentors. Um, so if you want the inside story, then, then ask Wayne. He'll give you the, the full glorious details of what it's like to be a mentor. Um, so this morning, I've got a few videos for you to try and mix things up a little bit. And um, I'm going to start with a video. And the video is from the 2012 Olympics. And it's the story of a swimmer called Chad LeClough. Now, Chad LeClough won the 200-meter butterfly. And he beat the, uh, the mighty Michael Phelps into silver position. And what you're about to see is an interview with Chad's father just before he receives his gold medal. And what I want you to listen to is the words of the father. Listen to what the father is saying. And here is Chad's father, Bert. My word, what a performance. Unbelievable. 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 I've never been so happy in my life. And it's something undescribable, undescribable. I mean, to what happened tonight is like I died with to heaven and if whatever happens in my life now, it's plain sailing. It's plain sailing. And there is your boy down there. I think he could hardly believe it, not just that he's won the gold medal, but that he's beaten Michael Phelps. Wow, this is a, this is unbelievable. Look at it. And he's beautiful. Look at this. What a beautiful boy. Look at him. Sorry, sorry. Tell us a bit about Chad and when he committed his life to swimming and how he's got this good. He's unbelievable. He committed, he's committed like you cannot believe. He's the most down-to-earth, beautiful boy you ever meet in your life. He, he, he will not, you know, he, he likes all the... Look at him. He, look at him. He's crying like me. I love you. Uh, oh, my God. Every time I see myself, I look at him. <laughs> Listen, we're, it's just like, yes. We want to, no, 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 you're fine. And, and, and his mum is here as well. How many more family members, how many friends have you got? My, my, my other son is here, the small one. Yeah. And uh, he's somewhere up there, I can't find him. We have to get tickets all over the place, you know. It's not easy to get tickets. I, I, we, we, I know, we're aware. But listen, you were here at the most perfect moment of your son's life, and it sounds like the most perfect moment of yours. Oh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Thanks, Great Britain. Thank you and congratulations. Thank you very much, Madame. Thank you very much. That's Bert Laclos, the father of this man, Chad, who is the new Olympic champion. He has beaten. It's um, a wonderful, wonder, wonderful picture of fatherly love. And I don't know if you noticed his words. There's something he didn't talk about in his words. He didn't say anything about achievement. His son has just won the gold medal and he doesn't actually mention that. All he says is, look at him. He's beautiful. I love him. And it's such a perfect picture of unconditional fatherly love. A father that loves his son for who he is. Not for what he's achieved, but because he's his son. Um, you may have also noticed in that clip that there's, there's a, it's like a modern day parable of, of Jesus' baptism. He comes up out of the water and his father affirms him audibly by saying... This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Um, so the question for us this morning is, how, how common is that? 
how common is that picture of fatherhood? Because I think that's what every child needs to know, that they are loved unconditionally. But is it common? I actually think it's pretty rare, unfortunately. And I actually think there's many, well, I don't actually think, I know, there are millions of children growing up in the UK that aren't in meaningful contact with their father. And, and part of the reason for that is because of two trends. Since the middle of the last century, we've seen a, a rapid increase in, in family breakdown. And we're also seeing an increase in births outside of marriage. So last year was the first year in history where more births were had outside of marriage than inside. Now, that isn't a, this isn't to point the finger at anyone. This is just a, a statistic to say this is a route by which many children lose contact with their father. It's not always the case, but it's an increased probability. Because when families break, de- break down or don't form in the first place, the chances are that children will be living with mum. Roughly 92% of single-parent households are headed by a mother. And that actually is a particular problem in the UK. The UK has one of the, the worst rates of family breakdown in the, in, in the whole of Europe, unfortunately. So if you're a child growing up today, sitting your GCSEs, you're more likely to own a smartphone and have a TV in your bedroom than you will be living with your father. And now, roughly speaking one in two 15-year-olds do not live with both parents. The vast majority will be living with mum. And in some low-income parts of this country, that statistic can be as high as 70% of 15-year-olds not living with both parents. Um, Family breakdown, unfortunately, is only one part of the problem. I think it's fair to say that, that men, we have been absent from the young people's lives in in many ways. If you take the education sector, primary schools, roughly 15% of primary school teachers are men. I I had a conversation with uh, the head teacher of my local primary school, and she'd been there for seven years, and she said she hadn't received one single applicant from a man for one of her teaching jobs. And then if we take the workplace, the workplace has also changed considerably in recent decades. Um, Gone are the days where teenagers, young men, used to go into an environment where they were working shoulder to shoulder with older men. The, um, The author Robert Bly, who wrote a book called Iron John, he said that the traditional ways of raising sons that lasted for thousands and thousands of years amounted to fathers and sons working in close proximity, murderously close proximity with their father, whilst they learn a trade, whether it be carpentry, ironmongery, tailoring. But actually, those environments don't tend to exist as much anymore. We've had the industrial revolution, we've had the digital revolution, and now it's far more likely that a, a teenage boy, a young man, will go into a workplace where he's sat in an open-plan office or he's in front of a computer screen or he's talking to someone over a headset. They're just not the same environments for that shoulder-to-shoulder contact with older men. And men, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, um, we've probably been absent in other ways. I think the modern career demands quite a bit of a man. We live very, very busy, distracted lives now, and those aren't great conditions for any relationship to flourish, whether it be a friendship, a marriage, or, or being a parent. 
And sadly, our society has often put more emphasis or more value in a father providing financially for his family rather than stable headship of the family. I mean, all, all this is to say is, is that we have a problem in the UK today where boys just aren't being fathered, and that's a much bigger problem than fathers being physically absent from their homes. It's an absence of cross-generational male communities. The problem is many boys are being left to work out what masculinity looks like for themselves. And that's a real problem if you're a young boy, because you don't, it's not something you can just work out from books or movies. You can't work it out from your peers or from your mother. It has to come from proximity to older men. It's better to say that masculinity is bestowed. A boy, a young man, needs a good, clear path to follow. And if he doesn't have a clear path to follow by his father or other good men, he will find an alternative. And that's where gang culture is particularly dangerous. It's where people like Andrew Tate are particularly dangerous because they're filling a void. Because if you're a young man desperately seeking what it looks like to be a man, you'll be drawn to environments of hyper-masculinity like gang culture. Another story for you. Um, a few years ago now, some executives at a greeting cards company thought it'd be a great idea to go into a prison and offer the male inmates there the opportunity to send a Mother's Day card to their mother. And so they went in, they set up some desks, they shipped in some, some Mother's Day cards, and the uptake was incredible. It really surprised them. They had to bring more cards than they expected into the prison uh, for the inmates to send a, a message to their mum. And so they thought, well, this was great. Why not do it for Father's Day? So they did. They brought in the, the tables, the cards for Father's Day, and not one single prisoner took the opportunity to send a card to his father. Roughly 76% of young persons in custody had an absent father. Crime, imprisonment, gang culture can be a consequence for fatherless boys. Obviously not always, but it's an increased risk. In fact, the, uh, the CSJ, Centre for Social Justice, said that one of the key drivers for gang culture is fatherlessness. But actually, things like crime and gang culture, they're really the visible tip of the iceberg when it comes to the consequences of fatherlessness. There are many, many more consequences of growing up with no dad. A fatherless boy is far more likely to fail academically and be excluded from school. It's far more likely to struggle with unemployment and poverty later in life. Far more likely to struggle with alcohol use or drug use. He's more likely to struggle with anxiety, depression, psychiatric disorders later in life. In fact, if you want a really ugly statistic, he's more likely to die young. He's more likely to develop coping mechanisms such as drug use and alcohol use which makes him more predisposed to things like heart disease, lung disease and cancer and actually he's far more likely to commit suicide. One sociologist said that fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. 
Um, just as a quick aside, just want to make one thing very, very clear. Nothing that I say today should be taken as criticism of single mums. I, I'm a father of two. I've got two wonderful kids, but I can't imagine what it would be like to bring them up on my own. I have nothing but admiration for single mums. Um, but at Chapter 2, we do believe that boys and girls need both male and female influence in their lives. And sadly, it is male influence that is lacking. And that's a particular problem for boys that need to have masculinity modelled to them. Which is why at Chapter 2, it's one of the reasons why at Chapter 2, we are focused particularly on men and boys. So I realise I've painted a little bit of a dark picture. Um, well, not a little bit. It is a dark picture because it it's dark. Um, but there's hope. Because if absent men are the problem behind the fatherless crisis, then finding men that are prepared to be present is the solution. And I want to explain a little bit more about what I mean by that by telling you a story about elephants. Um, the part of the reason for that is elephants, as you may know, have very similar emotions to humans. Their brains are very, very similar to ours, particularly part of the brain that's responsible for emotions, which is why on wildlife programs you may have seen them grieving over the loss of loved ones in much the same way that, that we would do. And the reason for this, talking about this, is because of something that happened in the 1990s at a game reserve in South Africa called the Pillensburg. I've probably not said, is it Pillensburg? Game reserve, Pillensburg. Game reserve in South Africa. And something very odd happened. There was a series of rhino deaths. About 37 rhinos were murdered. What was strange, though, is their, their tusks were left intact, so it suggested that poachers were not to blame. And it actually transpired that it was a gang of elephants that were responsible for these rhino deaths. And those elephants were all orphaned male elephants, all between the ages of 13 and 18. And the reason for that is something that had happened many years prior to that in, the, in another game reserve where they'd gone through a cull of adult elephants. And then the, the younger elephants, the ones that had been orphaned, they then transported to the Plansburg game reserve. And it was these orphaned male elephants that had now reached adolescence, which comes with greatly increased levels of testosterone, just as it does in the human world. And it was these orphaned male elephants that were reaping havoc. They were spearing the rhinos with their tusks. They were holding them underwater in the waterhole. Very, very odd behavior. They were even found to be recruiting other orphaned male elephants to be part of their gang. Very odd. These orphaned male elephants were not only suffering from the trauma of being orphaned, they were suffering from the lack of male figures, older figures. And so the, the rangers in the game reserve were a little bit at a loss to know what to do because this was very unusual behaviour. But they thought, let's gamble. Let's bring in some bull elephants. And so they did. They brought in some fully grown male bull elephants into the park and it changed instantly. The murders stopped. The behavior of those orphaned male elephants changed instantly. They just needed that older male role model to figure. They needed the presence of good older bull elephants. In many, many, the solution was simple, right? It wasn't rocket science. 
And we believe the solution is very much the same in our world, in the human world, in the UK today. Which is why at chapter two, our vision is to write hope into the fatherless story. We want to start a new chapter in the lives of boys that are growing up with no father. And we do that by bringing in male mentors that are there to be there, one-to-one, long-term, dedicated male mentors that show up consistently. All our mentors are trained, assessed, monitored, supported, encouraged. And the way we mentor is, has got boys and men's in, in mind. We don't, we don't go into classrooms. We don't typically mentor over the coffee table. We have a very active way of mentoring. We go out there and we do stuff shoulder to shoulder. And when we match our mentors with mentees, we spend a lot of time working out what our mentors like doing. And we match very carefully to try and find common interests in the hope that those interests will be a way to develop a relationship. And we also put on activities every month. And those activities are really a fun thing for the the mentors and mentees to do. Um, But it's also a great way of that relationship, that one-to-one relationship deepening. Um, Last year, we put together a little three-minute animation which tries to capture the essence of chapter two um, as succinctly as possible. So I'm going to show that to you now because I think it should speak volumes. Meet Sam. In the opening chapter of Sam's life story, he was subjected to the violence his dad inflicted on his mum. His dad then left home when Sam was five. Sam has an amazing mum, but his father's absence and the violence has left Sam with low self-esteem and feelings of worthlessness. Sadly, this is a beginning in the lives of many boys. And without a positive male role model, the following chapters in Sam's life story are likely to conform to a familiar narrative. Sam is more likely to struggle in school and may eventually be excluded entirely. With no qualifications and a desperate need for belonging, he's more vulnerable to gang involvement. The distress of unresolved trauma means Sam is more likely to experience mental health problems later in life and to use smoking and alcohol to ease the pain, increasing the risk of long-term physical health problems. Should he become a father himself, there is a higher chance of him being absent from the lives of his children. Time in prison is also more likely, and tragically, because of his father's absence, his life could end in suicide. But thankfully, this is not how Sam's life story was written. When Sam was eight, his mum reached out to Chapter 2, a charity that introduced him to a volunteer male mentor called Eli. Sam and Eli regularly spent time together, one-to-one, doing practical, fun activities. Eli became a consistent and reliable friend, asking Sam questions and showing a genuine interest. The absence of Sam's father had once conveyed the message, you do not matter. But Eli's presence and friendship gradually changed that belief and helped heal some of the pain Sam felt. Thanks to Eli's influence, the current page of Sam's life describes a confident man who works hard at a job he enjoys committed to his wife and a loving father to two boys of his own. In the UK, as many as 2 million children are believed to lack meaningful contact with their fathers. Rooted in the belief that God cares for the fatherless, at Chapter 2, we believe every boy like Sam deserves a dedicated man to guide him into adulthood. 
Help us write hope into the fatherless story. Find out more at chapter2.org.uk. Hopefully that speaks for itself, that little video. Um, So you may have a question of, this is all very interesting, Rich, but why are you here in our church? Um, What's it got to do with us? Um, Well, Chapter 2 is a Christian organization, and we we work in partnership with churches that want to reach out into their communities and and love those that are most vulnerable. And we actually believe that the, the biblical mandate to help the fatherless is really very clear in the Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word orphan appears frequently, but actually the literal definition of that word orphan is in the Hebrew, from the Hebrew is fatherless. And it's a word that's usually used to express the compassion that our Father has for the fatherless amongst us. You know, Psalm 68.5 describes God as a father to the fatherless and defender of widows. Our God cares deeply for the fatherless and as his chosen image bearers on earth I think it's our role to do the same and you may have also noticed in the Old Testament that when the Old Testament prophets are calling God's people to show compassion and mercy they often highlight four people groups the orphan, the widow, the poor and the foreigner those were the most vulnerable groups in ancient times and nothing has changed today it's exactly the same today and at chapter 2 we are obviously trying to support the fatherless directly but indirectly we are supporting the single mums and actually the majority of our referrals are also from very low income families unfortunately family breakdown drives poverty and poverty drives family breakdown it's a vicious cycle and so if you are in the top 20% of income in the UK, there's a 96% chance if you're a child today in that income bracket that you'll be living with both parents. If you're in the bottom 20%, it's a 28% chance and falling. Uh, in the New Testament, I think there's actually just one reference to, um, to the fatherless and it's James 1.27 where it says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God is caring for orphans and widows in their distress and not letting the world corrupt you. Um, I, whenever I talk about the, kind of the biblical mandate, I'm always in two minds as to how to do it because it's easy to throw kind of Bible verses at you, but actually there's, there's, there's a bigger picture which is more important. And what I mean by that is there, there is a clear theme of sonship, and fatherhood that runs throughout the whole Bible. It is the essence of the gospel. And, and to try and capture what I mean by that, I'm going to show you another little video. It is a bit cheesy. It's from um, an ice hockey match. And at the start of some ice hockey matches, they get people out to, to drop the puck, to stop the uh, members of the public out to drop the puck. And, and that's what you're about to see in this next clip. And now, ladies and gentlemen, in our Pack Pride Night, we are welcoming two longtime members of our pack. Aton and Ronnie Ehrman have been season ticket members since 1996 and are the proud parents of Sergeant Daniel Ehrman from Fort Bragg, who is currently on tour serving in Afghanistan.
At this time, we'd like to invite Coyotes Captain Shane Doan and Ducks Captain Ryan Getzloff to center ice to take part in tonight's ceremonial puck drop. Urban family, we have a special guest delivering tonight's game puck. Please direct your attention to the Coyotes Tunnel and welcome home from Afghanistan, your son, Sergeant Daniel Urban. Tyson. My goodness, that is unbelievable. Take a look at that. That is a proud father right there. That's his uh, dad, Roni. Dan Ehrman, sergeant, surprising his mom and dad. His mom, Aton. Wow. Just glad the dad's okay. Unreal. What a moment that is. <laughs> it's a moving clip, right? I must have seen that about 80 times and it still makes me weep. It's, um, it's strangely powerful. And I think some of that is because we all have a personal experience of fatherhood in some way. But actually, I think there's a little bit more going on in that clip than just our own personal experiences. Um, you may... Some of you may have noticed that, that there's a parallel between that clip and the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 that Jesus told. It's a story that Jesus told in order to explain the gospel. Because at the heart of that parable is a father who's looking out for his son to return. And when he sees him coming from a long way off, he runs to him full of compassion and love. He embraces him and kisses him. And that's exactly what we've just seen. It's a snapshot of the gospel. It's like the gospel on ice. Um, Timothy Keller, the late great Timothy Keller, said that if you take all of the teachings of Jesus and you think of them as a lake, this story of the prodigal son is the spot where we can see right the way to the bottom. Because the story of the prodigal son is, is telling us what the gospel is really about. Is telling us that there is a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally and that we get to run into his arms. Not because of any gold medal that we might win, but because of who we are in his eyes. And it's interesting that the early church was not thought of as a religion because it was totally different to every other religion that was around. Because at the heart of, of what the early church believed 
was unconditional love of a heavenly father, something that cannot possibly be earned through religious behavior. Accepting that we are sons and daughters of a heavenly father is right at the very heart of the gospel. Uh, And that's why so much of Jesus' teaching was trying to help us see that we have a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally. But not only did Jesus teach us about the heavenly father, he, he modeled it to us as a son that was fully dependent on the father, that trusted the father's love implicitly, even to the point of death. And not only did Jesus teach it and model it, he's enabled us to do the same. Through his death on the cross, we now get to run into the Father's arms in the same way that the prodigal son did. Galatians 4 says that he came to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. That word sonship is men and women. It's not just for men. And so at the heart of the parable of the prodigal son, at the heart of the gospel, is fatherhood and sonship. Jesus has won us the right to become sons and daughters once more. He did it as a son who trusts the father, and the father sends the son to rescue us. Fatherhood and sonship is to Christianity what water is to the rainy season. It's the very essence of what it's about. And therefore, it's probably no wonder that fatherhood has become so broken and opposed in our society. Now, um, we could tell those around us that are suffering from a lack of the presence of a father that they are loved unconditionally by the Heavenly Father. But there's a challenge there. And the challenge is if, if if you have grown up fatherless or your only experience of a father is someone that was abusive to your mother and then left home when you were four years old, if that's your only understanding of fatherhood, then looking up to God as a heavenly father that loves you is going to be quite a challenge. Because who wants a father like that? And so at chapter two, our primary aim is to model the love of the heavenly father by showing up consistently And through our unconditional and consistent presence, sending the message that I am interested in you. I I don't think there's many better expressions of the gospel. I I really don't. I think the good good news of the gospel really is good news. Not just for the yet to come, but for the here and now. And we sang that, that worship song earlier about speaking the name of Jesus. This is a great way to speak the name of Jesus, to proclaim the good news, not just in words, but through deeds. Because we have a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally. Um, so as I said, chapter two, we partner with local churches and we would love to be partnering with you. But to do that, we need mentors. And this is the part where I want to speak directly to the men. And wives, girlfriends, this is your opportunity to get your elbows out and just kind of give your other half a little nudge to say, you'd be really good at this. Because men, we are the problem behind the fatherless crisis. And it will take men to respond to it. This isn't isn't a call that we can leave to the fairer sex. It needs us to stand up and make a difference. And so men, if any of this resonates with you, please come to our next training day. It's on the 23rd of March 
At the end of my talk, there'll be a little QR code go up on the screen, and you can register for the training. If you can't make the next training, but you're still interested, please go onto our website, and you can pick up one of these cards, and just go to the register your interest in mentoring. There's, a, there's in order of two million children in the UK growing up without a father. And you definitely can make a difference by being prepared to show up consistently. Now, I want to address three concerns, questions that might be going through your minds. The first of those is, I've got nothing to offer. I'm not used to working with difficult teenagers. This is, this is not something I've got any experience in. I think that is primarily a lie, a lie of the enemy, because you definitely do have something to offer. We're not looking for counsellors, therapists, youth workers. We're looking for good men, good men that are prepared to show up consistently. And we can give you all of the support and training and encouragement you need to do that well. Think of yourself as one of those bull elephants. It was the presence that made the difference, nothing else. Second thing that you may be worried about is you may be thinking this is all very good and interesting, but I'm too busy. Um, yes, I get it. We do live very busy lives, but I'd like you to try and think about this in terms of something that can be largely integrated into what you already do. And what I mean by that is we try to match mentors and mentees where they enjoy doing similar things. So let's say you like playing golf. Sorry, that wasn't directed at you intentionally, Billy, but I, I can see it could have come across that way. Um, then we'll, we, we will look for a match that likes playing golf or if you like kicking the football around. Let's say you've got a son of your own that you play football with. Well, why not invite the lad to do that with you? Or if you're having Sunday lunch, invite the lad and his mother over for Sunday lunch. It doesn't have to be a separate add-on to your week. Um, the third thing I just wanted to say, and I think this is probably the, the most compelling reason to do it, and that is that it would be good for you. I can't think of a, a better way of coming to know God more fully and to be shaped into his likeness than exposing your things to the things that breaks his heart. And I guarantee you it will change you you will probably be exposed to levels of disadvantage, oppression, as the Bible would say, that you haven't seen before. And when you do that, it changes you. It makes you more compassionate. It builds humility. So with no other reason, do it for that. Um, so I'm just about finished. We're going to close with one last little video before I um, point you in the right direction of a few things. I want to show you a little good news story. Um, and it's the story of Ian Wright, the ex-Arsenal footballer, England footballer. He grew up, he didn't grow up with his dad. He had a stepfather who was, was abusive. Um, he was from a low-income black community in London. So his, his chances in life were severely limited. But there was a man that came alongside him in school, a man called Mr. Pigden. And Mr. Pigden effectively mentored Ian Wright. He showed an interest in Ian. And what you're about to see is a, a clip many years later when Ian 
Wright meets his old mentor. Ian's still the highest scoring striker ever to play for Arsenal, and he owes a lot to the man who first taught him to kick a ball, his old school teacher, Sid Pigden. As I hadn't seen him for, what, 23, 24 years, and so he would now be expecting me to be six feet under, I would think. I, I don't actually think, uh, he, he probably won't recognise because he won't believe it's me. <laughs> Hello, Ian. Long time no see. Mr. Pigden. <laughs> You're alive. I'm alive, he says. How are you doing? I can't believe it. Someone said you was dead. As you see, I'm very much in, and I'm so glad you've done so well with yourself. He was so um, supportive all the time. He, he, he kind of like had me as, as his kind of like special guy. <laughs> I don't know what to say. God, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You know, now I realise how important he was in my life. The first main imposing figure, male figure in my life who was trying to guide me on the, the right road. How far are we going back now? 40 years? 30, yeah. 30 easy, years anyway? Easy. 30, 30 odd, 32 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, as I said, there is um, what we would really love is for as many men as possible to come to our next training. Um, I don't know if you could put up that slide, Manesh, that would be great. That QR code will take you to, to the little registration form. It's free. Uh, there's no obligation to become a mentor at the end of it. You can just come to the training and never speak to us again. Um, but I, there's a good chance that won't be the case. Before this service started, I was thinking to myself, I need to pray for a certain number to come to that training. And originally, I had 10 men in mind. And as I was standing over there, I was thinking... I've lowballed it. And I felt God saying, no, it should be 20. Does that sound about right, Pete? You reckon even higher, okay. <laughs> um, we, men, we really do need, we need to respond to this crisis. And so um, please join us at that next training. Um, we've got some of these cards over by the coffee table that you can pick up. There is something else that you might be interested in. If you're interested in supporting us, but for whatever reason, mentoring isn't for you, every year we do a Father's Day challenge to raise funds for Chapter 2. Last year we walked 100 kilometres along the Ridgeway in 24 hours. And we raised, I think, 100, about 110,000 from that activity. This year we are climbing Everest in a day. We have created a route in the Lake District, which is not Nepal, I know, but it's, it's cheaper. Um, it's a 26-mile walk, but it takes in the elevation equivalent to the Everest base camp to its summit, which is about 3,500 metres of uphill. It is an incredible walk. It will be an amazing day. These are usually the highlights of my year. So if you're interested, pick up one of these flyers 
and join us on the next Father's Day challenge. Um, so that's all from me. We get myself, Pete, and Wayne are going to be hanging around. So please come and come and speak with us.